Does your child's throat hurt? Is your little shithead kid having trouble sleeping at night? Then try Petty Ease Cough Suppressant. It'll soothe your son Tommy Tomasino's bitch-ass sore throat and put them right to sleep. Petty Ease Cough Suppressant. Gentle, fast, effective. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with the subgenres within the horror realms. I am one of your hosts, Devon Taylor. Joined with me, I have Mr. Garrett McDowell. I like the way you said within the horror realms, like we're like in a, you know, a parallel universe in the, in the realm of horror, you know, <laughs> because I like to think of us. I like to think of our podcast as a funnel, you know, because we have our like we have our monthly theme and obviously, yeah. We have the big overarching theme, horror, and mm-hmm. then we have our monthly theme, get a little smaller, and then when we get into the movies, we go even smaller into those subgenres. So, so it's a it's a nice little uh, funnel uh, thing that we got going here. That's and, right, and um, it is a uh, the it's a bittersweet episode because it is always sad to come to the close of one theme as we wrap up our M Night Shyamalan coverage. But then it is always exciting for the next week as we will be starting a brand new theme that I am super stoked to get into. Um, but for Shyamalan, we are uh, going uh, back to almost the very beginning for him. We've kind of went kamikaze style of uh, bouncing around his filmography. But um, I'm excited to um, uh, to tie a little bow on, you know, maybe his most seminal work, The Sixth Sense. And joining us into uh, the discussion on uh, Shyamalan's uh, maybe his uh, breakthrough film is a photographer and filmmaker. Welcome back to the show, Cameron Rice. Hello. I would say it's his breakthrough. I, 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 yeah, I would think so. I mean, I don't think anyone's talking about um, Fully Awake. What were the two he did before this? Uh, pray, <laughs> prayer for... Or Praying with Anger. Praying I know with that, Anger. Because that, that title is actually a pretty good title. But And then the other one uh, with Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody's Cameron, really. Cameron, is this your is this your second or your third time on the show? How, second, how, I did second? it follows okay. and now this. Okay, I, I need now. I'm curious who like what's the power ranking of our guests on this show? Are we gonna have like an SNL style, you know, five time member club? Uh, oh, I'm yeah. sure Donato's oh, up there. If I get there. a jacket, if I get a jacket, <laughs> I'll take it. At five. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. We we got some recurring people. Uh, Jay Jay leads the pack with three appearances. Uh, as of now, um, but um, we do have a couple two timers because we, um, you know, we have a uh, guest that you know we have a real good rapport with, and uh, the conversations uh, go very nicely. And we love to have you guys back, so very excited to uh, have you back, Cam. And uh, as we are wrapping up our uh, month on M Night Shyamalan, what are your general feelings on uh, Shyamalan as a director? Overall, positive. I, I think like. Like, I, I, I am not going to come out and try and defend the ones that generally people think are not good. Uh, like, I, I, no one no one's coming out for Last Airbender. No one's, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's going to bat for Last Airbender. Um, not the least of which being M. Night Shyamalan himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, overall, I appreciate uh, his work. I always am kind of, like, mildly excited when a new one uh, comes out because I appreciate he's a director that takes swings both like 
in the premises of his story and also like uh in some sense his dialogue his dialogue is very um like i guess i could say obvious but it's stylized in a way and i think people misinterpret that as bad Yes, we've had we've had multiple conversations already uh, throughout these episodes on his style of dialogue. It's a little bit uh, blunt and uh, kind of very to the point. And, and like I said, I think uh, even the comedic moments are times that, you know, he's definitely in on the joke because he's got a good sense of humor. But then uh, he also uh, I think it, with the dialogue, he just uh, doesn't want the characters to like waste time with what they're saying. Like he's just yeah. like, like, let me get to you. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it it really depends on the actors who um, appear within the film. And I, I think it's also, you know, I, I would say overall his movies, like if I were to put his movies overall together as a whole thing, I'd probably give them like a B plus grade generally because yeah. the ones I love, I love. And the ones that don't work, don't work. And I think there's a lot in the middle where I'm like, that was a good time. I'm glad I saw that. Well, isn't that like so fitting for for Shyamalan? And I'm sure we're going to talk about kind of like the shadow that this movie like loomed over his head kind of inadvertently. Uh, Especially with the public. I think especially with the For sure. Yeah, this is like the best and the worst thing that could have happened to him because I think you're exactly right. He is like a B director. Like he's uh, got great sensibilities behind the camera, but a lot of the stories that he's telling are mostly just kind of like schlocky Twilight Zone-esque kind of uh, uh, narratives here. And especially now in like this kind of later chapter in his career i think he's really leaning into that but with his kind of not his first you know debut movie but certainly one that was incredibly popular and beloved and and really thrusted him in the spotlight for gosh sakes this in in the year 2000 this was rented by 80 million people the top rated vhs and dvd title of the year i'll have you know uh so this film kind of put him in this position of telling these thoughtful really narrative driven stories but also also, uh, the most importantly, with a big twist at the end, which I, we've talked about before, I think is a weird Mandela effect with M. Night Shyamalan because most of his movies actually don't have like super elaborate big twists. This just kind of sent him on that trajectory in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess we're talking about it, So I guess like it's worth getting into now rather than holding on. I think this is both. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse film. I think it's he was out the gate with this. Compared to, like, I don't know if anyone remembers that, like, Time Magazine article when Science was coming out. That was, like, the next Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And he was being caught, like, he was being hailed as the next Spielberg. His films were, like, events for the beginning, like, of that time. And I think in a comparison to Spielberg, where Spielberg had two movies prior to Jaws, a lot of people think of Jaws as his first film. Yeah. Like, he had Sugarland Express and Duel, which are great movies, but I think people are like, Joss, you start. You did Joss. You started on Joss, and I think I don't know how you know how M Night feels about it. Maybe now he doesn't care. He might have been like basking in that in the early two thousands, but I think it creates this public perception of like, well, you were supposed to. We were told you were the next Spielberg, and I think there is both uh, this and Unbreakable. There is a degree of um, um patience and holding back that I think his films have not had in the last 15 years. And I think that's a okay. But I think that's where people have that moment of like, Oh, well we were told you were supposed to be this. We thought you were supposed to be this. Mm-hmm. And I think truthfully, his probably taste is far more towards because people also forget he was supposed to do the new tales from the crypt. 
Oh yeah, like on TNT. Yeah, it, I think I think you know this movie and you know and especially those first like kind of early uh, between from this Unbreakable signs and then up through the village is like at this point where like uh like we've all kind of said like he is kind of like this like kind of b like has more b movie sensibilities but by the way that this film came out this film didn't wasn't as outwardly genre at least like in appearance as like some of his other films so it's like people kind of had this like prestige uh idea about him uh when they you know kind of saw this movie and then he he's constantly kind of tries to get away from that. But then at the same time, when they're giving him, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollar budgets, I mean, he can't say no, you know. So it's like it's a it's him very much still trying to do his thing while, you know, oh, yeah. society was uh, trying to put him in uh, their own, you know, various boxes. Well, you have that you have like um, it gets nominated for all these Academy Awards. It. um. He's also coming out, like, in, like, 1999, which by many people is considered one of the best years of film, period. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the top five hits. And by the Oscar standards, is like, one of the top, like, it's in there in Best Picture and all this other stuff. And this is also the era, the 90s is the era of, oh, here's a genre film, but there's some prestige on it. Mm -hmm. Your Silence of the Lambs, The Others, things like that, where it's like, oh, sure, this is a spooky movie, but we put a little saw. And I think also the fact that this was put out by Disney, their Touchstone mm -hmm. Pictures uh, era. So it's like there's that degree of like, because if you watch those original trailers, it is like, oh, this is a, a classy picture. This is a classy, spooky oh, movie. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so I think people have that really drilled into their head because I watched like, I don't know if you guys did an episode on it. Because like I dug old, I oh, dug yes. M Night's old. Funny you and should I say maintain, that. <laughs> we did that did it last week. <laughs> I maintain if that was titled "Tales from the Crypt Presents Old," people would have been way more into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we talked about like that or like under a Twilight Zone. I was a big. I'm I'm an old beach. Yes, uh, Garrett is uh, an old beach. No, but um, yeah, it. Yeah, his um again like him trying to still do his like kind of auteur thing while also being kind of molded by these uh production studios around him or them trying to at least you know that's uh again always uh give Shyamalan uh credit for just you know sticking to his guns even if it did you know kind of take him out of the spotlight for a little bit and I think that's where like I'm not I don't think um these early Spielberg comparisons like really got to him I don't think uh he had any kind of ego about it because if he did then he wouldn't you know I I don't think he would have uh kind of let himself kind of fade away for a little bit just so that way he can like you know come back and then you know come back all I mean, on his own money at that too when he did come back uh for like the visit and those films onward yeah. he did the only reason i think maybe it kind of got to is do you guys i don't know if you remember when the when it was either the i think it was the village when the village was coming out sci-fi channel had this had this special that was like the truth about m night Shyamalan that like he helped produce and oh Johnny yeah Depp he was like, in it yeah he like he like uh did did a lot on it and it was like a kind of like a he he, he memed himself before it he, was like a thing <laughs> he memed himself i think here's the thing to me at least i would go with like oh you're in on the joke if we then didn't have like all those stories about how the making of lady in the water went and then the two like really big bombs that were 
after earth and and um the last airbender I, like to me i kind of call that his like michael jackson in the mid 90s era <laughs> yeah where he's like pretty- i can do any weird thing i want and people will love it and i think people went no no we don't (laughs) and so i agree like i love that but i i love that he you know came back and was like i'm gonna pay for these things on my own and do my own thing but i do feel like he took a couple of lickings uh in the ring and kind of had to kind of reassess things a little bit which is like that's why i kind of like this era even if it's not as prestige as the sixth sense unbreakable era that there is like a fighter that kind of got beaten up a little bit and had to kind of go okay hold on let me figure this out it's a little bit i'm listening right now to um blank check and they're doing danny boyle right now and they Mm. just got to 28 days later and that comes right after it's like oh you're a huge big deal you did shallow grave and train spotting you're the hot new director and then he does um a lifeless ordinary which no one cared about and then he did the beach which everyone was like what the fuck is this (laughs) and so danny boyle had to go like i need to reassess things Hmm. Interesting parallels, beaches included. Um, you know, so yeah. I, I didn't even uh, think about their kind of filmographies in comparison. Um, but yeah, you know, M Night, uh, lots to talk about, and we could easily do a whole uh, second month. Who knows? We might. Uh, we might have to cover the Unbreakable trilogy at some point. Um, but we'll see if uh, we get there. But let's go ahead and wrap up our M Night discussion with the Sixth Sense. Six Sense released August 6, 1999. This was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, cinematography done by Tak Fujimoto. This was uh, their very first collab, and they would go on to do multiple. Um, and then same with the score done by James Newton Howard. This was also uh, their first collaboration as well. This was edited by Andrew Monshine. This brought in a box office of $672.8 million on a $40 million budget. Like, man, these early, uh, again, those first, like, um, these first early run, these were just making some money, and I kind of forgot how much uh, of a box office success they were. Um, this has a uh, currently a Rotten Tomato score of 86% on 161 reviews, with a letterbox average rating of 4.0 out of 5. Um, so, uh, one of the, one of the few that actually, uh, made it over the, the four, uh, threshold, a lot of them kind of don't seem to make it. So this is a, uh, pretty heavily agreed upon film, which is, uh, nice to see. Um, so Cam, what made you want to talk about the sixth sense today? Um, I feel the sixth sense is a funny, because it was such a big deal when it came out. And I feel like, truth be told, any podcast I appear on where it's like, what, why did you pick this movie? There's a little part of me that's like, I want to defend it because I know if I hear someone else talking about it and they're getting things wrong, I'll be driving my car going like, God damn it. <laughs> so like my buddy Hector show, I do like the deer hunter and a history of violence because I'm like, they'll get other people who are going to get everything wrong. <laughs> um, I feel like the sixth sense is like this and usual suspects are the two. And I feel like maybe people are coming back around the other way, but I feel like for the longest time, the sixth sense and usual suspects were the two movies I constantly heard about where people were like, well, once you know the twist, the movie doesn't work anymore. The movie falls apart once you now know the twist. It's not as good. It's not as good now. And I am like in the camp of I disagree. I think this movie holds up amazingly, even if you do know the twist. 
Um, I think like, even though you know the twist now, you can still watch the movie. And even if you want to play detective and go like, oh, look at these little moments. I think it's like so well shot. I love how restrained it is in some of its things. I love its performances. Tony Collette is so good in this. Um, I think the atmosphere is great. There's so many like just little moments, like Bruce Willis, like, you know, people I think are coming, you know, because of his recent health stuff, I think people are kind of like reassessing a lot of Bruce Willis movies. And this is like peak action era Bruce Willis. Like he only did like the fifth element a year or two before this. Like Die Hard with a Vengeance is only a couple of years. This is like peak. We love cool guy Bruce Willis being sarcastic and everything. And he is so good in this and so restrained. And I think there's just such a degree of, yeah, it's the performance. It's the atmosphere. I think like this now really does sit nicely with movies like the changeling and the others with these kind of like very restrained ghost movies that have these amazing scenes and these air, these scenes that pop and these performances where you're like, Oh, has this actor ever been better? Yeah, it, it it's definitely, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll get into my um, thoughts here in a second because I had a interesting viewing experience with it, but uh, Garrett, um, had you, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have seen this before. Um, how did you feel on rewatch for it? Oh yeah. So this was one that I was a big fan of when I was a kid, like a, a pretty young kid, uh, having seen this movie and boy, howdy, this thing scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> this thing was terrifying. There's a few sequences in this that in rewatching it the second time being like, yep, I remember that part, like, because it just petrified me as a child. And I think that I had the same kind of frustration that Cameron had because I went to like log this movie on Letterboxd and I was seeing some people that I even follow and friends of mine claiming the same thing of like, yeah, I know the twist, so it's not as fun to me, which is it's it's really frustrating. And I think it's really reductive, too, because I think that like some fans do with Christopher Nolan's movie movies, they just kind of see films as like puzzles and once you solve the puzzle it's done like you don't have to engage with it anymore but I think with this film that's not the appeal like the appeal of the film isn't just this you know this like pulling the rug out from under you and then you go oh wow great what a good movie I was surprised and then move on because it happens at the very very end of this movie I don't really think it's like the point of the film it's it's almost like this brilliant little you know finishing salt that once you go back and re-watch the film it's not just oh that's a clever beat or oh that thing is oh I see how he's talking to the wife and oh that makes sense now and the puzzle fits it's I, I think you're kind of robbing yourself of the opportunity to ask why Shyamalan is doing this what this means for these characters and this arc that they're going on what it means between Malcolm and his relationship with Cole I think that there's a lot of depth uh, to this film that I think people can just be preoccupied with wondering like how M Knight pulls off this trick and rather why he pulls off this trick and what he reveals in these characters and their interactions with one another. To me, that's far more rewarding uh, of an experience with not just Shyamalan, but a lot of films in general. It's like, yeah, you do know the twist. You know that Kaiser So say at the end of the, the you know, he's actually Kevin Spacey the whole time. Ah, but I think in just going back and you're just saying, yeah, I know 
how the movie ends, yeah, I know Luke blows up the Death Star. I know the Titanic sinks. I know that they shoot Jaws at the end. That's not really the enjoyment. It's just the destination, you know? Enjoy the ride, you know? And I, I think that this is a hell of a ride. I hadn't really watched this movie in earnest since I was young, so I was able to not just see, yeah, the fun, rewarding details that M. Night does that are honestly really clever. Uh, there's a few sequences in particular that I was like, oh, that's such a great detail. But I was also able to enjoy this film on a, a, a deeper level, a more character-driven level, and also from a technical level, too, because M. Night directs the fuck out of this movie. Uh, the cinematography is so great. James Newton Howard's score is amazing and super recognizable. Um, this is a really gorgeous film inside and out, too, not just from a technical level level but also it's got so much heart to it as well so I was thrilled to see that this movie holds up so much more than just the twist because I think when you focus in, when you focus on that that's just like the icing on the top of the cake really get in and enjoy the meal that is this movie oh yeah like um so I mean we can go ahead and get it out of the way like yeah this movie is so much more beyond the twist itself um you know the a mark of a good twist in movie is if you can still watch it with the the recontextualized aspect to it and uh this is a movie that this was I mean I it, I can't remember if I had watched it like when I was super young at certain points and like very much not checked into it or if it's kind of been the effect of just like seeing the iconography so much that Maybe I convinced myself that I saw it, but I mean, for the most part, like I, I kind of consider this a first time watch for me as far as like, I, I, I seen it and I knew it. And of course I knew the twists, uh, going into it. And so for me, I did still watch it with, uh, the angle of being like, I'm not really thinking about the twist, except I do like kind of try to watch for like some of the little moments, um, with Bruce Willis's characters and the other characters around and then like yeah like i mean it's definitely there but the the movie itself isn't considered with the the twist in a story because there isn't much there isn't really a story this is just getting to know people like he is really just kind of telling the individual stories of these people and the way that they are connected in this way so like with the the twist itself it's you know it it changes the story but it also doesn't because there's not much story to change there really um, what I uh, was like kind of more uh, taken aback by is the way that he um, isn't putting in as many narrative twists versus, um, you know, twists with the emotional beats and like kind of where he places them and then kind of, you know, making you think that like, OK, this is a very big moment and this is is a, a certain emotional reveal, but it's not it. You know, we still got more let coming on. So it's not even like it's just like a we come to the end of the movie and it's like, oh yeah, boom, here's a twist. It's like, no, like part of it's revealed in the middle of the movie. And then it's like, no, 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 no. The real twist is that you think that that information, you know, is it, but I got more for you. So it's like, there's, there's kind of layers upon layers of it. And just the way that he does explore um, these people, just like, you know, feeling very human emotions, you know, and and uh, just uh, the way that they are kind of approaching that and, you know, using the ghost story elements like pretty minimally uh, kind of increases them as the film goes on. But like for the first half of the movie, you could really forget that this is a ghost story itself. Um, so I think I think what also helps, too, is that it is despite the fact that the movie opens and closes with Bruce Willis, it really is Cole's story. And by the time mm -hmm. we get to the twist, twist, the Cole stuff has been wrapped up. Mm hmm. And so it's like the main conflict of the movie, both like 
how does he deal with the ghost stuff? Why, you know, why is he haunted and how does it affect his relationship with his mother? That's all wrapped up. And it's the Bruce Willis stuff at the beginning and the end. It's more just like, so you already had your satisfying story uh, and character arc throughout the film. And the Bruce Willis stuff has kind of just been peppered with it throughout the stuff with his mm-hmm. wife. And so then you're kind of like, well, yeah, we wrapped up the main thing. So now there's this thing at the end. And then that's when the twist comes. And I think that's like, it really is like a very well-structured and edited uh, film in that manner too. Like usually I would say like, we don't need to see the flashbacks of the stuff. We know what happened, but in this way, I think with, in combination with the James Newton Howard score, that ending really hits when we're seeing flashbacks throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, again, it's like the, the twist happens after you've kind of already had your like emotional release and exhaling, you know, from, uh, you know, the climax of Cole's, you know, character arc. And then so it's like you kind of are, are like, oh, OK, I'm gonna, we're going to go, you know, kind of sail smoothly out of this movie. And then it's like, oh, no, boom. So it's like it's uh, it's everything about not only the twist itself, but it's the where he puts it, the way it's structured and the way it plays on the emotions that you've been kind of feeling the rest of the film. And uh, these performances, like, I mean, you know, we talk about Halo Joe Osment as, um, you know, the the kid actor for a little bit but man like i truly forgot how good this performance was and uh him him and uh bruce willis like i you know bruce willis i've never kind of seen any of his films and being like you know what i bet you he is fantastic with kids not to say that he would be mean to them or anything i've just never been like you know what i bet and he is so tender and warm in this movie um that i just uh, i couldn't get enough of it so um before we kind of dig a little bit more into some of the characters and the uh, story structure stuff. Um, this is time for our 60 second synopsis. And we've already spoiled the movie, but we're going to continue to spoil the movie. Um, and if you click on a Sixth Sense podcast episode without seeing it, uh, that's that's on you guys. You know, that's on y'all. But in case you haven't seen the movie in a hot minute, we're going to have Cameron give us a 60 second synopsis. Are you ready, my friend? Let's do this. All righty. I got you on the clock here in three, two, one. Go. Uh, a little boy is traumatized and he needs to go to therapy. He goes to therapy and it works. Concise. Concise. Uh, all your problems will be solved if you go to therapy. Well, not all of them, but it does certainly help. It helps. See, see Banshees of Inisherin. If uh, those two guys uh, would have had some therapy, we wouldn't have had a movie there. Um <laughs> Um, uh, but but yeah, the, if you if you want to kind of go as uh, concise as possible, we haven't had a a a, a one liner uh, on the on the <laughs> show. I don't think ever yet, Garrett. Have we? I don't think so. We, uh, usually, our guests take a, an unorthodox approach, but that was the most unorthodox Ian <laughs> approach that we we've seen. But yeah, I think you're right. I I think that not to anything to sneeze at for being a movie that comes out in the late nineties. Uh, not until I guess the past couple years, uh, not to say that we're doing like an amazing job, but just you know, entertainment wise as a nation, uh, like mental health and how we address those things, it, it, you know, hasn't been the best, especially in movies. But I think that M Knight's approach to this is surprisingly mature. Uh, I, I think that the way that he addresses, you know, Cole and his abilities and, and kind of how he can have like pretty healthy coping skills with that. And also, you know, what the truth that it can reveal with Malcolm as well. I think it's surprisingly mature. It's also like really heartfelt, too, and sincere. I think that this is M. Knight's most kind of earnest 
ghost movie in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that it's like a very friendly ghost movie, you know, not on the level of like Casper or anything mm-hmm. like that. But there's like a real tragedy to this movie, too. Uh, but it all comes like with this big heart. And it is because of this relationship with with Malcolm uh, and Cole. And I think that is you're right because of the performances here. I think, yeah, with like Haley Joel Osment and like Henry Thomas and I'm sure a few others are just like all time, you know, great child actor performances. Uh, but yeah, Haley is so terrific in this. He's he's got so much truth behind his line, so much unsaid. That sequence between there's a, a couple really standout sequences. It's the one with between him and his mom, obviously, in the car, which probably earned <laughs> Tony Collette the Oscar nomination alone. Such a great scene. I was actually like really emotionally moved by that last night. But then also like the early scene where we actually like not first meet him, but like really get a chance to kind of know this character. And it's kind of what's not said. And it's that game that they're playing where he takes the steps forward and the steps back. I think that Haley is just so terrific in in those scenes in particular, as well as this whole movie. There's such a, a kindness and a sweetness behind his eyes, but also so much fear too. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I can't really say enough about his performance. I'm sure everybody has been giving his flowers, you know, for, uh, like coming on like 25 years, uh, of this movie, but it's really deserved. He's I mean, so excellent. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we have been giving him flowers, but have we really? Because man, like I was, I was so floored by it. this kid was putting in just work, like whether it is the, even the way that he breathes like a little kid, like, you know, you always kind of hear him making like a sound all the time. And like, <laughs> like you said, like the, the, the way that his eyes are just so glossy throughout the entire movie. And uh, he just has so much behind his eyes and face. And like, there's so much intention in everything that he's saying. And like, you don't really get that from kid performers. Uh, you don't get that from a lot of adult performers, you know, to where you really feel the conviction in every word that this kid is saying. And I mean, it is just like it, it's yeah. it's really phenomenal, uh, and I I thought it was interesting that I I was seeing that uh, M Night um, wasn't uh, exactly uh, as as sure on having Haley Joel Osment in the casting. He was like, he looks a little too sweet, like he's you know he, he looks like like I'm you know talented kid, but like he kind of envisioned um, Cole's character to be a little bit more. Uh, broodier, I suppose, a little bit more of a of a dark child in a in a way, but. I think uh, the the casting of Haley Joel Osment only added to uh, the character and the performance of, uh, you know, having that juxtaposition of uh, this, you know, very sweet face, but just like everything that comes out of his mouth is so sad and like, you know, so it's like you, you really do just feel the empathy for, for him immediately. Well, it's, it's also the thing, too, it's like, so do, uh, the other thing, too, is. Was this the most, along with The Matrix, the most parodied film of 1999? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I it, it, it's funny because I didn't really uh, think about it. In the first three scary movies, they parody, a, a, like, just about all of M. Night's movies that had, like, come out to that point. Like, they really, like, had it, you know, out for uh, coming for them. But, like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. How many times do we see the, you know, I see dead people parodied in commercials and things like that and even though that that scene is really great like like that's not even in the top five scenes that Haley Joel Osment has in this movie for real and I think it's also it's also a thing too that performance is really helped by uh it it like it was already a great performance I think especially too in retrospect in the last 25 years how many quote-unquote creepy kid movies we've had and they feel very 
um, depending on the movie, feel very like stylized the acting, or it's very kind of like layered on how creepy the kid is, and or traumatized, or all this other stuff. And I think the fact that it's like the Cole is a kid with trauma, but it also feels very real. Like it doesn't feel like here's a creepy performance. Yeah, he's not hamming it up at all, or like trying. Like Cole is never like an avenue to scares like he's more of an audience surrogate like we see him react to stuff he's not what we're supposed to be afraid of and also as a kid who you know initially watched this movie having like related to this kid feeling like there's like you know an outcast kind of nobody really understands kind of attitude there's the the great scenes where the he's like telling other characters not like to look at him a certain way not to look at him like he's a freak um there's that uh scene of him um, he has a habit a lot, uh, Cole does of like asking his mom, like what she's thinking or if she's mad at him. Like he, I, I think that's another like element that adds to like kind of the earnestness and the sweetness to where, um, the scene at breakfast where he's on the, at the table and he's, uh, doesn't touch his cereal by the way. Uh, but <laughs> she just completely throws away a full, full of cereal. Uh, but she like goes back to do laundry, comes back and all the cabinet doors are open and his hands are like firmly planted. And he's more concerned about, his mom, like how she's going to perceive him. Uh, and he's like, what are you thinking, mom? And like, you know, uh, like, do you think I'm a freak? And she also has that recurring line of like, look at my face. Like, I, I don't think that. And so I, I think it, it, it is really sweet that it, it, it's a great subversion of that kind of creepy kid, because this is also like, you know, this is a post shining post children of the corn. So like, or even poltergeist in a way, but we've had those sort of uh, tropes before. But I think that, yeah, he, he never falls into that camp, I think, purely because he, he is that audience surrogate and he seems so concerned with how others are going to perceive him because he's kind of used to this, for better mm -hmm. or worse. Like, he's been living with this horror for God knows how long and he's more afraid of how others are going to see him. That's why he's so attached to Malcolm. That's why he's so eager to have him help him because he even says, like, you're the only one that can understand me. And uh, I think beyond just M Knight's clues throughout the film of, you know, Malcolm being dead or, you know, I'm only, I'm curious if Cole even knows that Malcolm's dead. That's something that I was really looking forward to in this time. I'm like, does he know he's a ghost? Oh, and, he totally and, knows. Okay. You think so? What do you I, think, Cameron? He, he, I, I feel like, I, you, Oh yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Cameron? No, I would agree. I, I, I think he does. I think he knows. Yeah. Because like, I feel like it, it's it, because it, it Cole is goddamn this kid is so mature you know obviously like not only in the performance but in the fact that he recognizes you know what Malcolm is doing for him like he understands like what the job of a psychiatrist is and like gets what he's trying to do but like I think he is still also kind of taking that in and this is him you know learning the lesson that he is gonna you know kind of learn through Malcolm's help but like he is, you know, this is the the beginning of him, you know, kind of understanding that, like, you know, I'm also here to help, you know, these ghosts as well. And, you know, Malcolm is just like the first ghost that doesn't, you know, come at him to terrifyingly or, you know, screaming at him and stuff. And like, you know, he comes up pretty chill and then he's like, oh, OK, so you are a ghost I can talk to. Um, but he, you know, still just doesn't uh, maybe, you know feel like it's his place to tell Malcolm that he's dead but is still like as Malcolm is helping Cole you know figure out his problems on his own he's trying to help uh, Malcolm you know kind of come to that realization on his own as well I think 
yeah, I think also the, like the scene to me that makes me kind of think is that um, he never talks to his mom about Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. And that the scene where he comes in and, you know, the for the audience, but also I think a little bit as a hint is like, yeah, the scene when Bruce Willis is sitting across from Tony Collette. Yeah, and because he knows, he knows if he, he like goes and starts tell, talking to his mom about this, you know, uh, this strange old guy that just starts coming around, is hanging out with him, you know, playing games and showing him magic tricks. Uh, she's not gonna, you know, take that, you know, uh, too too kindly. So it's like, uh, it makes sense on like, you know, kind of why he uh, also doesn't tell her, um, because it's already it, it's already he already knows how hard it is, like how hard it would be to try to explain the secret to her that. You know he's just not ready to to get to yet, and uh, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't ever uh, think of this in the in the creepy kids uh, in the creepy kids category because we we like you said we're never meant to be scared of Cole and um and it's you know we are meant to feel the fear with him you know we we are feeling what his fear is and and I love that uh like kind of what you guys mentioned it's like yeah like he's already been dealing with this problem. Um, so I, you know, the, the, the ghosts aren't even like the, the top of his worries, you know, it's like you said, it's his perception of his mom or, or the perception of others that they have of him. Um, it's, and just, and you know, the, the regular kid shit, like that's, you know, what his like big problems are. Like he just wants to, you know, have friends. He wants to go to parties. Uh, he wants to like, you know, he wants to like be invited without somebody like, you know, having to have talked to their parents into doing it for him. You know, like he just wants to have normal kid shit and like, you know, like be, be in the, the school play. Like, you know, those are still his like worst things. It's just like the ghosts, you know, obviously exacerbate that. Yeah, which I think in a modern context was something that I was really like pleasantly surprised about in the idea of like, how does this movie address mental illness? Like it could totally be a metaphor for that, because I think that I I love that he, he doesn't just like close his eyes and doesn't see the ghosts anymore. They're still there, but it's more about how he learns to live with it and how he can, you know, cope with this and you, you know, insert whatever mental illness you want to put in there, depression, anxiety, what or so, you know, what have you. Of course you can take medication to suppress some of those things, but it's not going to just go away because you want it to. It's part of your life. And how are you going to, you know, live out your days and live with this mental illness? And how are you going to, you know, channel it into effective coping strategies? Which I think ultimately is what, you know, Malcolm has him do is he like learns how to help these ghosts and to like have them pass on, to, you know, more peacefully or it's a little unclear of like, are they not ghosts anymore can they now is this like a purgatory situation it's it's not super important it's more of just like how he is able to commune with them and just you know have a conversation with him like the the scene before the play where the woman doing his makeup he's just like chatting it up with her he's not like i'm gonna solve who you know <laughs> who started this fire it's just like he's just having a conversation which i think is is great and also yeah is just more kind of piling on to why this movie isn't just its twist. Like you can still mine so much more from this movie beyond just, Oh yeah, he's, he's actually dead the whole time. So the rest of the movie isn't good anymore or isn't as good, which I, I just fully disagree with. Well, cause there's so many sequences that just like one of my favorite scenes, which actually is not a cold scene. I love the uh, scene when Bruce Willis is listening to a tape recording of, uh, when, of Donnie Wahlberg when he was a kid. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we of course in uh, in any ghost story, we gotta have a classic 
uh, either tape recorder scene or a uh, videotape scene, hearing something through the static. Um, you know, I, I like that even though this isn't, you know, focused on, you know, the, the being a out and out, you know, ghost story, it does still uh, hit the, you know, kind of hallmarks of classic ghost, uh, ghost stories. Well, it, it's very like, I have not, I'd love to kind of do a comparison to see if it's almost edited in the same way. It did kind of also make me think of the tape recorder scene from The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and like similar scene where it's like an older adult who's trying to help this kid, like listen, you know, like in this sort of like basement area, listening to this tape recorder, slowly turning up the volume to see what can he hear. Um, and in this case, like, yeah, again, the, uh, the James Newton Howard score just like, is so good in that sequence too when it's like Bruce Willis starts to hear the other voice. Yeah. I totally agree. And you could also draw comparisons between like the I don't remember the character's name, but like the younger priest who's kind of disillusioned because he doesn't really feel like, you know, he already has failed someone, failing his mother and like I think Malcolm oh, yeah. and, and his relationship cares. with yeah, with Donnie Wahlberg's character. I think that there is kind of like a similar redemption story happening of like seeing someone who is a child and in need and and, in aid and you can help them, uh, but being fearful because of like past failures that you've had. So I think that there's a a few parallels there, man. How am I like, I couldn't even recognize Donnie Wahlberg as Vincent as holy shit. I've I've been like trying to, you guys have mentioned Donnie Wahlberg. I'm like, yeah, I I would, I was looking for him. Where is he in this movie? (laughs) Holy shit. Like, uh, cause he, he really, uh, it comes with it in that opening scene. But, yeah, he uh, lost something like he lost like I mean he was never he was never a big guy, but like he was sort of like his brother in that like they were kind of workout like guys and like he yeah. lost a bunch of how much did he reportedly forty three pounds according to IMDb. Damn. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Th- like so that that's crazy that I didn't even recognize that that was him. Yeah, um, he's got a, he's he's uh, barely fills out those tidy whities you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I do want to kind of get into some more of the elements of uh, the the ghost story stuff uh, going on here because I would say that is you know aside from a psychological drama probably the uh, the dominant subgenre for this and uh, so I do want to kind of get your guys' thoughts on how M Night approaches um uh, this ghost story in kind of a uh, a more restrained, muted way, like, you know, the, the ghosts aren't presented uh, in any, like, fashion, except for, like, you know, if they did have, like, wounds or, you know, from however they died. But, you know, they're not glowing, they're not see-through or anything like that, uh, mm-hmm. like how, like, regularly they are presented, because, you know, when Cole uh, describes, you know, um, you know the way that he sees ghosts and the way that they kind of just walk around like they're normal people because they think they're normal people still... Uh, so I, I like that, you know, M Knight brings that through with like not giving them like any uh, distinguishing looks. But then um, another a shout out to another killer Haley Joel Osment scene when he is describing to Bruce Willis like what it feels like to be around mm-hmm. a ghost and to like experience a ghost and talking about the way that it like comes from within your body and like the way it goes through your skin. Yeah. And yeah. oh, my God, like, what, yeah, man, what a killer scene. Yeah. I, I love yep. all the the practical effects and yeah the decision not to make them these like you know spirits and it's so crazy that we don't see like a single ghost in this movie until like fifty minutes into it like it is unless you count Bruce Willis 
Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very sizable where somebody is like outwardly uh, a ghost with that woman uh, who like slit her own wrist scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. The, the one when, the does, mo- when does the kid the kid who's like, let me show you. Let me show you where my dad's gun is. When does that appear? Yeah, it's like not like the next night sequence, but maybe like one or two uh, others. But yeah, that one. Oh, my God. That one the mo- got me the most. And the girl in the tent. I just remember being like viscerally terrified as a child. The 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 kid one especially uh, really, really freaked me out. So, yeah, it was fun kind of watching this movie and be like, oh, man, uh, six, seven, however old I was when the, you know I first watched this movie. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> he was scared to death, too, let alone, you know, uh, this kid trying to like commune with these things. I'm like, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think for me, it, it really is the restraint in some of this stuff where it's like and as much as I do enjoy the kind of now schlockier era of M night that we have now. Um, I really do enjoy it. I do like, I do wonder with like certain things where it's like, you know, this is all a guessing game, but like when uh, Cole gets locked in that sort of uh, attic area mm-hmm. and we hear things happening to him and then he's pulled out and there's such restraint where it's like, no, the audience doesn't need to see everything we can hear and infer. And then you see the bruises and I do wonder if, like, M. Night of today would be like, let's get in that closet. Yeah, that's fair. What's the spooky ghost look like? Yeah. And I wonder if it is, like, a practical, like, budgetary thing. Because, as we mentioned, this wasn't, like, yeah, it's, it wasn't small. It wasn't, like, an indie movie by any means. It was, like, uh, you know, funded by Disney and things. I wonder if there was, like, practical, you know, reasons behind that. Or was it more restraint on his end? Or, you know, if he's, I wonder if it is just a, a conscious choice that he's making nowadays to really show you the terror. Uh, Signs has a lot of restraint to it. Like, comparing this to, like, something, like, old, it, like, they don't seem like they're the same. Yeah. director I'd, at all <laughs> I, i'd yeah. say is i think it is I, i'd say it's just a kind of changing of his sensibilities because yeah i didn't really think about it, but like more recently he kind of is more interested in the visual uh horror versus you know these kind of earlier era was a lot more about uh what you know what you're not seeing and kind of misdirecting on some of um some of the the way that he sets up the scares but like uh the i like the way that each ghost is like kind of presented and um yeah. you know in in variations too and like you said like we, you know, we don't see anything for that first half and then um in the second half he really lays on the scares but then also like really lays in these like emotional beats like back to back as well um you know that come in but um but i really like uh the 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 element of again like this is <sighs> It's so interesting and like, you know, the the way that this is a ghost story, but it's also not like it's, you know, it's also like kind of, you know, uh, ghosts are kind of usually used as like a metaphor for like, you know, past memories or past traumas and and uh, the way that that's presented and like kind of um, trying to show the way that, you know, uh, humans go about, you know, the the way that they carry these things or the way that they are haunted by these things. But um, uh, the fact that, you know you see Haley Joel Osment's character Cole is like kind of taking that in not only for him, but also like his mother and the people around him is just like very, Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting to me. Yeah. And I think there's also restraint from like a character level too, because we don't really get to explore like what happened with Cole's father. Like what was the relationship like with his mom? It's just like, he has a single mom and they like, it's kind of the, the subtext that, they have gone through hard things together and she's working like multiple jobs and like trying to keep things together, trying to like keep him in school. And 
you know, doing as best as she can, but I think more of a modern M. Night would have felt a need. Like with something like old, a character has to have multiple lines where they explain something just so you can, you know, everyone, so everyone in the audience knows exactly what's going on. Uh, we talked a lot about with, uh, with old and some of the on nose, you know, kind of dialogue. And I think that, yeah, beyond just like a, a horror perspective, M. Night does show some kind of that tip of the iceberg sort of, you know, subtext, things not seen, uh, that I think really informs the relationship between these two Cole and his mother, especially. Yeah. There's, there's a lot you could like infer from it. Cause like you said, they don't mention his dad, but like, you know, I wonder if maybe Cole's, you know, Cole's, um, attention to, you know, the way that people perceive him is like, did the dad leave because Cole was like talking about, you know, seeing ghosts at like a younger right. age. And maybe that, and maybe that's like why he's so hard on himself on the way that people perceive him. Uh, but we don't know because we we don't really need it. But there's um all, definitely like a lot of uh, meat there, which I think is actually you're spot on because he talks about like he has the watch and then the glasses that were from his dad. And I think Cole at least admires or liked and, you know, loved his dad to some degree. I don't think that his dad was like super abusive. I just don't think that he maybe understood. And I mm -hmm. also think that it is a nice touch that. You know, it's not overtly addressed, but I do like the idea that maybe Cole does kind of blame himself, which is a very common thing with a lot of children of divorce, that Cole probably thinks he is the reason that his his dad left. And I, I think that is applicable to lots of people, whether you can see ghosts or not, you know. And I think I think that's sort of the thing is like there's a lot of things that are left un, un, unsaid, but we can infer. And I think it also makes for a richer conversation because, uh, you know, not to do too many comparisons like him today but like uh you know uh knock at the cabin door which i did enjoy um overall there's flashbacks here's a family dinner we got to see what people think we got to know what everyone's job was prior to them doing this thing and yeah. so at the end of the day as much as i did enjoy that movie I haven't had that many long conversations about it sure because everything it's, is is presented to you, you it's know? like batista's yeah. good that scene was cool. <laughs> I like how that was shot. And that's sort of it. Like, he doesn't really leave a lot, like, o o open. Even the ending. You're like, here's the world. And the newscasters literally are like, everything looks like it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, and I feel like it's, you know, him, you know, maybe uh, in, in this earlier era, like, he wasn't concerned with, you know, um, kind of trying to subvert the the typical you know film structure or you know like a story structure he just like kind of was all he just like kind of was doing it like he did so naturally uh, especially in this like you know that the again that there isn't really a you know central plot so like he kind of makes it to where he doesn't have anything he can explain in this because he like kind of leaves it so um uh kind of bare bones in that way um, and it just like, so it's like the way that the movie is structured, it's like, you know, we kind of have like the, the halfway at the halfway point is like whenever Cole, um, you know, reveals to Malcolm of, that he could see ghosts and that like kind of, okay, like we're just now kickstarting, I guess, like what would be like the story of it? Because for the first half, you're just kind of like, you know, what, what is really kind of happening? So he like yeah. kickstarts the story halfway through the movie. Mm -hmm. So it like already kind of leaves less time for him to be able to explain stuff. And he really just has to uh, kind of, you know, get into these emotional beats that he's trying to get to. So, um, yeah. you know, I think he, you know, w w was less concerned, I guess, um, at the time. Yeah. And I think 
that is precisely one of the reasons why the first kind of leg of this movie doesn't drag for me at all, because I think it is between this, what is exactly happening here and that it is this, like, it it is building upon this really solid foundation of this relationship between these two characters and trying to have Cole come, you know, come to Malcolm and, and be comfortable talking to him and building this relationship because we've seen the other side of it. We've seen these relationships that he has with uh, his mom and, and the, the other kids. I, I feel like you're as invested in these characters. So this reveal actually means something. It's not just this kind of creepy kid cliche of, okay, this kid can see ghosts. So what it's, it is this completely trans kind of transformative thing that it happens to the story where this movie morphs into something totally else, not only being terrifying, but also uh, like completely kind of paints these characters in a new light. I mean, cause at that point you've already, we've already felt so hard for Cole just in his like, you know, again, regular, like kind of kid struggles, his regular family struggles. We've already yeah. seen all that. And then to like kind of recontextualize, that first half with like oh yeah and he's also been dealing with like seeing the ghosts of like you know people that are dead people that have been murdered people and like kind of like you know all these like um and just like really think in your head just like god damn like this kid must be exhausted um and just like kind of uh seeing all the things and then so that way but then like him uh kind of having to be whenever Bruce Willis is like, hey, like, I think the thing is you need to you just need to listen and him kind of uh, learning um, to to kind of accept this. Uh, the way that it unfolds is just uh, uh, you, you don't really know because you're like, are any of these ghosts out to get him? Um, and it's like, no, like, uh, I like that there's the subversion of that, of like, you know, the, the ghosts are. You know, like, it's like, no, it's, he's not like cursed and like the, you know, because he has the possession of one of the ghosts or something mm-hmm. and like, you know, following him that way. It's like, no, no, they're, they're not after you. They know that you can help and they just want, you know, they want your help. And uh, so like, just like kind of the way that these kind of uh, keep getting subverted and, and uh, so that way our climax is at a funeral, you know, and it's like, again, like the, it's just so unconventional in the way that, um, it folds out, but it just worked out perfectly in the way that he, you know, laid the uh, groundwork in the, in the first half of the movie. But cause uh, that, that funeral scene is just, wow. I, I totally had forgotten that scene and that was what an emotional punch for that. But again, like, just like this very unconventional movie climax. Yeah. I don't know. I oh, think yeah. I, there is an argument to be made that I think maybe the emotional climax for these characters is Cole talking to his mom. I, I think that that the emotional com- climax, I would agree. Yeah, I think that like Cole has a turn to where he's able to see like the utility that his gift has and that he's able to help other people. But I think it's more because I, I think Cole's whole arc, you know, is it trying to be understood like he doesn't feel understood and he feels like an outcast and i think with malcolm it's kind of feeling like he had failed slash abandoned this previous patient and in doing and in helping cole he's kind of retroactively able to feel like he isn't just getting this false glory that we see him have at the beginning he has this big you know plaque in a frame and it's nice and it costs you know a lot of money to frame it but he doesn't really feel like he kind of earns it um uh and i think that with with cole it is this kind of 
working up to he wants to feel understood and that kind of the first place that that starts or the most important relationship that he does have is between him and his mom so i i think it's even to kind of build off what you were saying devon i think it's even more unorthodox that like the climax of this movie is him just talking to his mom in a car <laughs> i mean yeah i mean i would i would say that they go pretty like hand in hand because i mean like the the funeral is like the his his dragon slaying moment of like you know this is uh malcolm learning that it's like no he might not be able to you know uh you know atone for like his you know help himself and like the things that he's done but he can help this kid so it's like he's he's getting that and then cole's also like getting that moment of being like okay like this is you know the way that you know i can start to learn to live with this and then yeah and then going into that that car scene with his mom is you know like the like him him knowing exactly like okay i'm finally ready to do this i slayed the dragon now i'm ready to you know um to to do this now and man like that that car scene like it got me i i was sobbing like that's that was just a beautiful piece of you know performing between the two of them is just ooh oh man i it, it got me good yeah it's really great it's a great scene yeah, I also love there's a fun detail as far as like we can even talk about some things that we did notice that are just kind of the fun. Ooh, that's very clever, M. Night. You know, the way that you did that. I love that the way that they get to the funeral is by taking the bus. Like Malcolm never drives in this movie. A lot of the times he just kind of appears where he's at. He says that he's even like had difficult like keeping track of time. Mm-hmm. So I think that he just sort of. I don't think he's walking all around Philadelphia. I think it's almost this kind of dreamlike, you know, he appears in the basement of this house, Literally, even though the door sometimes. has been blocked this whole time, you know? So I, I, I think that that was one of, one of my favorite little details. Uh, I think my, my favorite detail is the, the dinner scene. And I think it, a lesser filmmaker would have just cheated a little bit because there's a scene where he's talking to his wife and she looks up at him, but it's because you hear there's like a, a laugh off in the distance and she kind mm-hmm. of like looks up at the laugh, but the way the eye line is, is it looks like that she's looking at him, which I was like, that's super fucking clever, man. It's, it's yeah, A lot of this very, very well done in that regard. Yeah. I love a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it like because it especially because I feel like that's like the one scene that like if you were gonna like pick anything apart to like try to you know uh, see how they like kind of get around this uh this twist you know but it's like at the same time like I've seen like you know married couples that are like that unhappy that literally just don't speak you know so it's like you can kind of believe that like you know that they're you know to this you know moment of tension and. Malcolm just thinks like, oh yeah, she just barely speaks to me. We're strangers, you know, yeah. uh, you know, after, you know, because I failed this kid, you know, he thinks, you know, of that. So, um, it, that's the only like place where you could really try to like pick at it of like, oh, like does this part make sense? But no, it totally makes sense. Um, one of my favorite little details that I saw, um, uh, reading it was, um, with uh, the visual motifs is uh, the color red is like absent throughout most of the movie, except for these like super emotional points, like, you know, points of significance. So it's like either some, uh, it's usually somebody wearing red. So it's like, whether it's uh Tony Collette in the car scene um, in that uh, dinner scene, uh, his wife is wearing a red dress and then, um, and then the, the red doorknob. So it's like the only time red comes out is like when something like really important is happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the door to the church is this really stark red as well. So yeah, definitely that's something that has been uh, uh, talked about a lot is kind of the the red motif, how it's like this 
color of, of menace, like obviously colors like uh, the red is the color of red is a very intense color. So it's like either intense emotionally or intense of like something dark and ominous is about to happen. So, yeah, I love that M. Night is able to kind of signal that something is is, is about to happen. Obviously, there's the um the cold like shutters and the breath and things like that. That's another fun thing that if you watch early in the film, even before Bruce Willis is shot, like uh, there's, you know, where they go down to the cellar his wife goes down she like kind of shudders and feels cold so there is this sense of like yeah there's lots of dead people uh it's not just this one lady in your kitchen it's kind of it's everywhere you know cole even mentions that this uh young girl who died she's he says like she came a long way to see me so it's not even like these people are just trapped to where they die they're able to seemingly like roam around pretty freely which is pretty terrifying and, and it's interesting, like, um, I feel like uh, the, the, with kind of the, the haunting element of it, like, kind of has this uh, very interesting uh, uh, gothic element to it, but like a modern gothic element in that, you know, obviously this is set in is, uh, his home city of Philly. He, he, loves, uh, he loves Philly. And, uh, but yes, you always got to go to Philly, except for old. But it's really great in this because, like, you know, Philadelphia was like, you know, the very first capital. It's one of the oldest cities. So it does, you know, have this, you know, very, um, you know, crazy history to it, whether that be, you know, the positive things that, you know, they talk Philly up all the time. But then, you know, um, but then Cole is, you know, quick to point out, you know, from what he knows about the ghosts, it's like, you know, no, there's been a lot of killing, there's been a lot of this. Uh, there's been, you know, all he he knows all the the tragedy within the city that you know that isn't spoken of. You know, he's the only one that is kind of, um, you know, able to to be aware of that. So so the the use of of uh, Philadelphia and its history, you know, uh, kind of contributes to this, uh, you know, urban gothic element to it. Oh yeah, hugely so. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and and definitely uh, the score as well is uh, is a big contributor to the the, the uh, also the the gothic aesthetic of this. You know, James Newton Howard in this one uh, doesn't you know isn't uh, hitting you uh, big like he does in the Signs one. You know, this is very it's just very uh, ever present and very you know soft and uh, kind of again very tender. Uh, it kind of reflects um, you know Malcolm and Cole's relationship very well. And I like that M Night um, does. Um, e- even though I like a good cold open, I also like that M Night usually just opens his movies with simple credits with some music over it. Um, you know, David Cronenberg he does that a lot too. He just kind of opens it with just like here, let me uh, because I got you know again I got James Newton Howard, I got a, a, a you know a goat here, so let me go ahead and just mm-hmm. intro the movie with the music. That's all you need. Is Lady in the Water the last time? I'm trying to think, like, what's the last time they worked together? Ooh, I don't have the the info in front of me, but uh, yeah. yeah, Devon, you can you can look into that. But uh, while I'm uh, waxing poetic, but yeah, uh, James Newton Howard is a frequent collaborator with M Night, and I think that he always totally delivers. Yeah, he has this really in your face kind of terror. So it's After Earth. They did all the way up to After no! Earth. <laughs> yeah, eight, it killed the collab. Of his, eight of Shyamalan's films, though. Yeah, that's that's really unfortunate. Uh, is he working with somebody like more regularly or has it been different every time? Like, is, is the composer the same for like the visit versus a knock the cabin? I'd be curious to see if he's 
if he's kind of shaking it up a bit because it was like him th- those two working quite uh, frequently together I, he also did unbreakable which is terrific as well uh but yeah i think you're right devon his approach to the score is much softer much more tender there obviously there are those kind of punctuated moments of terror uh when when cold does meet those ghosts um but i think that the film quickly kind of changes course as far as the score is concerned to being more um, emotional, being more uh, kind of sensitive, just like Cole is, is he first feels like terror in meeting these, uh, these ghosts, but then learns to kind of understand them and empathize with them in a way. So split in glass was done by Wes Dylan Thornton. Okay. Um, old was Trevor Gorskix, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. She seems to be switching up, switching it up more. And knock at the cabin was Herdress Sturdidorty. Oh yeah, Bless I you. had a hard time with that one too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely uh, seems to. But I, I find that uh, I mean uh, a lot of these, like you mentioned, they don't even have uh, their own pages. So I feel like it's uh, M Night kind of giving some shots to these to these younger cats. Well, I'm sure and I really did like the knock at the cabin score. I like I liked it a lot. Oh, I'm yeah. sure also. A James Newton Howard is a expensive person <laughs> to bring on, true, and I think considering true. that he's funding these projects largely by himself, he's probably yes. not wanting to like skimp, but he is like taking an opportunity to maybe shine a light on somebody who's not going to be you know a tenth of the budget of the movie. You know, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, I I, I like. Um, still, uh, you know, this, uh, this movie, it's interesting, uh, kind of the way that we've done, like I said, we kind of, uh, started off with a recent and then we went back and then went to another recent and, and, uh, kind of still seeing, being able to see, um, you know, the, the, the kind of, uh, evolution of, of the, the way he visually presents things and then the way that he, um, you know, with the, with the sound as well. But I like in these early eras, how they are kind of. Um, you know, uh, very, very restrained. There's not as many of, um, you know, his like, you know, interesting camera moves in this one. Like everything mm-hmm. is, you know, framed pretty straight and, um, you know, but he does use still a lot of, uh, more visual motifs as far as like the color versus like now he's kind of doing more dynamic camera work and, uh, you know, a little bit more bold, uh, visual motifs. But, um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I probably, Oh, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to say. I like me a good uh monochrome aesthetic, and this movie is very blue. Um, so I don't know. I I, I do kind of like uh his his early his uh earlier works or like or when he kind of more commits to these uh more uh color motifs. Right. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I I think that seems to be kind of the that name of the game with M Night in this is it is restraint. I think that there maybe is a he might be a bit more timid as a filmmaker. Cameron, you'd kind of alluded to the fact that, yeah, he had been he'd been kind of written a blank check for the next uh, decade or so and was just kind of able to do whatever. And I yeah. think with this, he maybe was a bit more timid as far as he's not like a household name uh, or anything. Uh, so he's maybe not being as flashy. Nor do I think he needs to be. This isn't a movie that needs, you know, pizzazz. Uh, like it's it's a character-driven, dialogue-driven movie. So I don't really need these like crazy blocking or anything like that or uh, anything too kooky. Whereas something like, uh, uh, I think, Knock at the Cabin or Old, I think it's fine to have something like that. Or even um, Split. Um, I I think that you're able to to 
spice it up a little bit more. It's a movie mostly in a cabin or mostly uh, in this right. kind of underground thing. So, yeah, shake it up a little bit. And it's also supernatural as well to where with this, yes, being supernatural is not the focal point of this movie. It's these two characters. So I, I think it would be a bit distracting. If, mm-hmm. You know, the like I think of that shot in like Knock of the Cabin where it follows the axe like coming down. <laughs> if this movie was to have something like that, it would be ridiculous, you know. But thankfully, he is he's still early enough in his career to where he is restrained. And I don't even know if I want him to go back to this. I'm fine with him kind of evolving as a filmmaker and just being more kind of uh, heightened, a bit more flashy. I'm totally fine with this because yeah. if he was to do this again like a character driven movie mostly dialogue driven fine go back to that style go back to your roots uh but i think that he's having a bit more fun now which i'm totally fine with i i feel like it like it maybe kind of uh makes a distinction between in this earlier era these uh were kind of the more lived in kind of a little bit more grounded uh kind of worlds and he is kind of more uh playing in like the real world versus like now we're we're in m night's world now we're we're in Shyamalan land uh, and he uh, kind of, yeah. you know, visually represents it a little bit differently because in this one, like, you know, like even just like uh, Cole's house, uh, you know, like the, the kind of crampness and like kind of the, the slight slight. It's, it, they don't like live in a dump or anything, but, you know, you can tell that's just like, yeah, she's busy with two jobs and, you know, she cleans up where she can like here and there, you know, but like, you know, like it just, uh, you know, it reflects their characters so well. And like um, and like even. Even uh, that that the you know when he's at uh, at the house and like uh, gets put in that like little closet and it's like a, su- a super random creepy dumb waiter closet because again this is like an old ass Philly house and like who knows you know what that yeah. was used for so it's like everything feels like so very lived in uh, with like um uh, the the set decoration as well yeah and uh, so before we get into uh, kind of wrapping up into our final thoughts were there any other uh, kind of subgenre elements that you guys were seeing besides, uh, you know, obviously we kind of got a psychological drama here, ghost story. Were there any ones uh, that were maybe kind of a surprise that you had in here? I wouldn't classify it as a subgenre per se, but we have made a habit of like highlighting uh, M. Night's humor in this. This is not like a super funny movie by any regards, but there are a few sequences in this that I really like. Um, I think the funniest is when Cole is at the birthday party and he's doing the magic trick to the other kid and the other kid is like, that's stupid. Give me my penny back. <laughs> like It's a really great V. So yeah, I would say it's probably maybe I, I, it's been a hot minute since I've seen uh, the village or the lady in the water. I, I so I don't know if it's his least funny movie. Uh, After Earth is also just pretty lifeless in general. Uh, but I would say that yeah, is is again just kind of showing the differences in his career. He seems to be having more fun. To where this movie, although not absent of humor, there are some pretty funny beats too. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Not not nearly as much uh, comedy happened in this one. You know, he's not really trying to like, get the yucks in here. But uh, there's no. a, there, but there, but there, but there is a few like kind of like of course like they're they're still in there. Like uh, even like whenever he's like roasting his teacher uh, about the yeah. stutter, like uh, the they just like kind of keep hitting reaction shots of like the students. And there's the one kid that like. He's like hasn't lifted the chalk off the board, and that's just like the same kid goes. The same kid. The scene goes on. He's just like slowly like drawing a line down the chalkboard. So it's like he's still got uh, some some little ones here and there. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> it's only a small section of the movie, but it's a subgenre. Uh, the putting on a show genre. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. They had to put on that class play. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And, and there's two of them too. Yeah, um, you know, uh, you know, 1999 when the the arts department still had budgets and they could do uh, a show each semester. Now you're lucky if you get one for the year. But uh, uh, <laughs> what a time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, happy that he kind of got that in there. Um, and I guess like uh, again, not not a subgenre. And, and we've kind of talked about like you know, M, M Night is not the twist guy but um but i mean it it, but since this film though like uh this has been the film that like people have kind of looked at you know twists and subversions you know differently like you know even though yeah even though um he's only done it maybe twice and through his whole filmography have like true twists to them um you know he is still gonna be kind of uh always associated with it but guys i didn't notice this though in that in that fucking uh, in the in the halfway scene, whenever he is telling Bruce Willis that uh, you know he sees ghosts, um, why did M Night call his own shot in this? Because he uh, because Malcolm is uh, gonna tell him a, uh, a bedtime story, and then Cole goes, "Ah, oh, you're not very good at this." He's like, "Why?" And he goes, "He's like, you know, you gotta add some twists and stuff." And I was like, "Holy shit!" M Night called his own shot <laughs> midway it's through so the good. movie. <laughs> <laughs> like uh yeah like babe ruth he does he really just is like uh letting the audience know to be to be paying a, a bit more attention but also malcolm's story that he's telling is fucking terrible <laughs> it's just like and they, they keep driving and, and and they're driving some more it's a really long drive uh so yeah i i it's funny devon is like oh malcolm's such he's bruce willis seems so great with kids i'm like i don't know he seems like a fucking slog to me <laughs> Listen, being a good therapist doesn't mean you're a good storyteller. <laughs> exactly. He's good at the truth. He's you not listen good at to fiction. stories. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I, I love that uh, he kind of uh, had that little moment in there and um, the way that it is kind of just like very... Uh, uh, I, I like how the the twist also like is just like there's no attention called to it. It's like in the literal last five minutes of the movie just goes, oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I yeah. like how um because like you said this kind of comes after uh the, uh Cole kind of having his back to back uh kind of you know climax scenes um so uh it, for some reason I wondered if maybe it would have uh at, at first I was like ah do I like that because like at because it doesn't really hit emotionally the twist um it's mm-hmm. just kind of more like a oh yeah okay cool cool um so like how does it like kind of hit you in general. I, the twist, I, yeah, like for for it being like again, like uh, because at first I was like, ah, oh, like it, it doesn't hit me as emotionally since we've just had this like big emotional payoff for Cole, but at the same time I like it structurally of just like here, let me just throw it in here at the last like five minutes. I I, I like I, I to me it, it completely lives off of uh, Bruce Willis's acting in the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I I think it's a really good and powerful scene because of Bruce Willis, like how good he is at like acting very surprised the way it's edited. Like that, that is a scene that could easily, even as good as the twist is could fall apart if you don't have the right actor in it. And it's not edited the right way. I I think uh, kind of referring back to what I was talking about earlier, knowing Cole's a main kind of character objective and then knowing Malcolm's, I, I think, again Malcolm is somebody who feels like they've been maybe he even refers to himself as he used to be a good therapist like thinking that he's maybe not anymore like he's fallen from graces used to be this 
obviously he's dead, but in his eyes, he feels like he hasn't given as much as he used to, um, or that the people that he did get all this, you know, recognition for, he maybe didn't help as much as he could. And I think that it's significant that this reveal happens because he is able to sort of fulfill that, that he helps out Cole mm-hmm. retroactively kind of making, he even admits that this is kind of for him in a way that he, f- he even says like, I feel like I didn't help somebody as much. And so maybe in helping you, I feel like I can in that, in a way help the other kid. He, it's when he's telling that, that's that shitty story. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I think that it's, it's emotionally significant to him that the moment he's helped Cole and also helping himself, the thing that he teaches Cole to do is to help other people post-death, post-mortem, and to kind of move on to this ne- next chapter, and in doing so, has helped himself, uh, kind of inadvertently. So I think it's significant for him that he, in that moment, knows that he's a ghost, and he's able to kind of, you know, maybe go to heaven or hell. I don't know, you know, M. Night's had some stuff in religion in his movies, and so whatever leaning you want to take, or whether he's just still walking around Philadelphia, again, it doesn't really matter. I think it's more that he is now... Uh, to the point where he is able to accept that he's able to understand that he's dead. It's that moment that that ring falls. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's as, as emotional as like a punch. I think it's more emotional to him as far as like, just like a crunchy filmmaking side of things. I think that the reason that this twist is so beloved and so out of left field is because the movie at no point, kind of points attention to it other than him calling his shot. The mystery of this movie is what's going on with Cole. The mystery of this movie is this kid mm-hmm. has a secret. What's the secret? So it, in, you know, a true magic, you know, kind of uh, magic trick sense, it's this sleight of hand, you know, diverting the audience's attention to worrying about this thing in the right hand to where the real wallop is in your left hand. It was you know? the fucking penny trick. It's like, the penny trick. Cause yeah, I was exactly. Because the penny yeah. never leaves the hand. And like, you know, Bruce Willis is in Whoa! the movie the entire time. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the go. reason it's so significant is not because you're sitting at like, you know, in, as an audience member, like you would like, you know, uh, knives out or something like that or scream even and going, okay, I wonder who the killer is. And you're crossing your, your suspects off the list. It's just like, it, it is an afterthought. Like Devon had mentioned. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, before you leave, bam. You know, that's why it's so impactful. Yeah, it's it's never like, yeah, because because at the beginning, they never show like, you know, like the ambulance, like coming to help him or anything like that. But it's just like, oh, we just like kind of assumed that's what happened. Like, oh, yeah, he must have gotten saved. He got shot, but he got saved. It was all good because it jumped because it jumps you ahead. It's using our knowledge of like movies and TV stuff to be like, well, if we jumped ahead three or four months. He clearly he was fine. The people got there. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I I do love it. I love all the 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 little uh, details leading up to it. I think it is you know holds up as being such an iconic twist because I mean it's just it's it's so well done on just kind of every level. You know, it shifts the story. It shifts some emotions. It's well layered, but it's also not a you know just like out of nowhere twist. It's like no, all we I gave you all the clues and like you know I, even though I'll say that's maybe one thing that I don't love about it is like the way that we do kind of have the flashbacks to those things. Cause I, I had already noticed them, you know, I noticed the doorknob thing throughout the movie. I noticed, you know, the lack of eye contact and like conversation. So it's like, did, did we really need the, the kind of flashbacks? It gave me like, um, 
feels of uh it gave me feels of like the mr crab like whoa meme <laughs> he's just like getting hit with all this information like oh my god i finally see it now but um so that may maybe be my one critique of it but again i still i it, it totally works though yeah to kind of wrap into uh final thoughts as well i yeah. i think uh Shyamalan's, uh need to go back i think it's purely practical i don't think it's i don't think it's just hey in case you forgot he got shot at the beginning of this movie i think it's more people like me who would go wait a minute he got shot why wasn't he bleeding out his fucking coat the whole time it's like no he was it was just in the back like you didn't see it it was like a through and through kind of thing mm -hmm. and she tips him over and that's the reveal and that's when he kind of notices i would think otherwise he would you oh, know yeah. like we well, see the kid with the you know the his piece of his head missing and this woman's got a wrist slit and he's the only one that's dead and doesn't look like shit you know he's not like puking and you know it, it is bleeding out of his torso right. yeah. um so i think that's primarily where it lies but yeah, yeah for for me i think that the, t the twist in this movie something that is the the most kind of memed most remembered thing about this film is also like the fifth most interesting thing about yeah. this movie. Sure. I think the performances in the film are top notch. I think the score, as we mentioned, is excellent. I think M. Night shows so much restraint in this. Something that I don't necessarily you know, wish that he would have had in later films. I think he's just gone on to a, a new chapter in his career. Uh, I think that the movie is built on this really firm foundation that makes those twists pay off and makes those twists significant. And I think without that the excellent relationship between Cole and Malcolm, as well as uh, Cole and his his mother, I think those twists would not be as remembered. So, yeah, to all those naysayers who think that this movie is just icy dead people and nothing else, you're you're due for a rewatch because I think that the film works on so many levels. Whether you want to look at it as like a metaphor for mental illness and and dealing with your own depression and anxiety, uh, but also being this tender and heartfelt ghost story that is really restrained uh but also just has this beating heart at the center of it so yeah going back and watching this was curious to see how m night was able to kind of pull off this trick but i think looking so much more beyond that i think you are really rewarded with this complex and layered story uh between these two characters so what are what are you giving it out of uh five pennies uh, for me, I'm at a, a five and a half uh, or a four and a half out of five pennies. I think that M. Night still does have a few sequences of dialogue that are quite stilted. I think it works for Cole, not as as well for Malcolm. I think it works for Cole to be this kind of emotionally stunted kid who is a little precocious, but still a little awkward. Uh, I think Malcolm has a few sequences to where I'm like, you should be better talking. You should be better at talking. Uh, ironic that <laughs> I uh, fumbled in saying that he should be better at talking than he actually is at sometimes in this movie uh and it's uh, i think bruce willis tries his best but i think m night's dialogue still comes through a, a little bit at times that makes the film a little uh a, a little silly at points uh but i still really really love this movie so four and a half out of five for me some small gripes small gripes but uh gripes nonetheless oh interesting i thought this was uh the most normal sounding dialogue he's had but I guess it is uh, but that's also but, uh, the bar is pretty low for him <laughs> uh, cam how about you out of uh your final thoughts out of uh five pennies oh i'm five this is a five banger this is a, this is a throw throw it on any time you're having you're it's gonna a, have a good it's time a it's, nickel for you <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good it's a good bruce willis film uh everyone uh, so many sequences still hold up are great if you're watching it like alone at night there's still parts that are creepy uh, which is like uh, the the thing a good ghost story should do. It's a fiver. It's a five banger for me. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. So, um, first, uh, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, um, this, uh, this, this one, uh, again, I, I didn't know what my expectations were going into. I'm like, how like truly I thought I was going to feel about, it. but man, this is, uh, this is really fucking good. Like, this is a really good ass movie. Um, like I, the, the production wise, um, uh, the emotions, this made me cry like multiple times. Uh, the, the score is gorgeous. Um, and Haley Joel Osment and Bruce Willis's performances. I mean, obviously, uh, HJO, you know, carrying this whole thing, but I mean, this is, um, this is a real tight ass movie. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and give it a four and a half out of five. I can't quite get it to five. It's close. It's, it's missing just like a little, I don't know, one more thing. Like it, it needed just a, a, a sprinkle more seasoning, uh, maybe, but, um, I, I really enjoyed this one. And, uh, and I'm also going to redact my signs and that one's also going to four and a half out of five. Uh, I'd been thinking about signs a lot, uh, since we did that episode and I was like, wait, I didn't give it a high enough score. So, uh, so signs also a four and a half out of five. Um, I, I think, uh, even though, uh, to, as we kind of look back on, uh, you know, our journey through this past month and as I've been reshuffling my Shyamalan rankings, um, I would say uh, this and signs are definitely like kind of uh, top tier for me. Like these are like uh, him truly doing his thing uh, at the best of his abilities. Yeah. And then like in the next category under, I have like, uh, you know, unbreakable split uh, movies that are really good. that I really enjoy. And then uh, and then like even and, and then uh, the, the special hot mess uh, group of uh, old uh kind of really just old it gets its own category because I think it is again the the most Shyamalan film not his best film I think you know either six I, I think uh may, I think Signs is maybe better no uh I don't know si- Signs and Sixth Sense tied for for his best but old is the most Shyamalan film yeah, it's been uh, as I said a minute since I've seen uh, a, a lot of his films. Uh, some of which I I never want to rewatch. Uh, but I think the it's a really undeniably impressive three movie run. Uh, the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs oh, is so great. I what? would say uh, he is up there with like uh, Hitchcock had a, a really great three movie run. Spielberg's had a few. Um, so yeah, I think it's an. I know Signs isn't as beloved for some people, and then he went on to make The Village, which I also really like. So that early four movie run is just like nonstop bangers. It's so which really is great. which is your favorite? My favorite, I think, is is The Sixth Sense. I think followed by Unbreakable, uh, and I think Split and Signs. I'd say it's probably then Signs. So yeah, I think it, it the those first three are like a chronologically is the same as my ranking. Um, so yeah, after that, I think it's mostly a lot of middle of the road, like Knock at the Cabin, Glass, Old, and The Happening, and The Visit. The Visit's towards the top, but everything else, it's like ah, just shuffle it around. I don't really care. And then you have After Earth and Last Airbender. I've actually never seen uh, Lady in the Water, uh, so I, I I will get to it. Um, but I. I think it's difficult to make a movie worse than the last airbender in general, <laughs> not even just for M night. Uh, but yeah, I would say his highs are super, super high and his lows are real low. So, uh, M night will keep you guessing, uh, keep you guessing for sure. For sure. Cam, what's your, what's your favorite M night? It really, it really is between this and unbreakable. I love unbreakable. Um, yeah, there's something there's that special sauce with him and Willis uh, that maybe didn't completely come through with glass. But I also don't know if that's necessarily but uh, it, it seems like history will show that might be when Willis was uh, having some issues. Yeah. Um, 
So, and it's also, that, that, you know, that movie might be like 10 years too late. Uh, but then you maybe, maybe wouldn't have James McAvoy. So I don't know. Um, there is something special about that first run where it's like, where he was like an event filmmaker for everybody. Um, where like my mom was like, oh, this new M. Night movie. We got to go, you know, and that did kind of drop off after the village. Um, and so there is something about that era that is undeniable of the newer stuff. I did. I did have a good time with Split. I enjoyed Split a lot. Oh yeah, Split. Split's up there, and I need to rewatch The Village and see because again, I think uh, from what I've seen on Letterbox and Twitter, that seems to kind of be his most divided film, and that also kind of is a, a kind of divider between M Night eras as well. So uh, I'm intrigued to yes, go back and I, rewatch I, The Village. I think if anything with The Village is the very like because it is. Um, um, Oh God! Cinematographer, um, Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins. It's it looks fantastic. It does, and and yeah. So I'm I'm definitely excited to uh, go back and do that, so I can kind of complete uh, my my redo of my M Night Shyamalan letterbox list. But let's go ahead and see what other movies we were thinking about while we were talking about The Sixth Sense. Alrighty, here on the Spectre Cinema Club, we like to end all of our episodes by playing a fun game. I know Cameron knows the rules, but some of you may not. Uh, you just take some of the movies that reminded you of the film that we talked about today and put it in an equation. Uh, you can add, multiply, divide, uh, whatever you choose. So, Cam, what is in your equation? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something interesting. I'm gonna go with like a movie that seems obvious, the, which is the Changeling, the George C. Scott mm-hmm. drama. I lost my daughter and my wife, and there's a ghost in the house, and I'm going to divide that by the Sandlot. <laughs> the Sandlot? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. About what's it like to be a kid and trying to bond with other kids, and sometimes you're you're a bit of a goober. <laughs> yeah, Cole is a bit of a goober. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> he is a goober. He just wants to he just wants to play pretend and you know do it do his little thing. And he just wants to he just wants to be in the play. He just wants the lead role. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what about you, Devon? Uh, I get mine pretty simple. Uh, they both came to me pretty easily. Uh, one was a film that came out the same year um, uh, here as The Sixth Sense here in 1999. Because again, banger of a year. Um, also had uh, this composer, same composer, uh, James Noon Howard, also did the score for Stir of Echoes, uh, another really great ghost story starring Kevin Bacon. Um, you know, he um, starts seeing ghosts and uh, has to figure out why he's seeing ghosts and he has to uh, he sees the ghosts and he has to solve the, the neighborhood uh, murder mystery. And uh, and, uh, you know, you kind of see his mind unravel as that is happening. I imagine he might not have unraveled if he had uh, gone to therapy. I think that uh, is Kevin Bacon, uh, what he needed in Stir of Echoes. But I really love that movie. It's, a, uh, I think, one of Kevin Bacon's better performances. Uh, you know, I, I, we love him in, in genre films, and uh, he needs to come back to us. We, I would love a, oh, man, a real dark, gritty Kevin Bacon movie, like, now. Please give me that. But, um, yeah. So Stir of Echoes, uh, they even have very uh, similar visual uh, styles as well, except uh, Stir of Echoes uh, goes a little bit more... Uh, paranormal ghosty um uh, uh leans uh more more into it and is a a way heavier film way heavier film and i mm-hmm. have that multiplied by a uh, paranorman uh we covered paranorman here on the podcast and uh i 
I uh, totally did not uh, really think about uh, the parallels between uh, Norman and Cole here. I mean, they are such similar characters. There had to have been uh, a lot of Cole inspiration uh, when making Paranorman and uh, him kind of uh, learning, you know, what uh, the purpose of his ability is and the way to uh, kind of help, uh, you know, the, the ghosts who, um, you know, they both, uh, both these films kind of uh, remind you that it's like, yeah, ghosts are ghosts and like, but they're not monsters. Like ghosts are, they're still people. They, they were people, but they are still people. They are still people that have stories to be told. They are still people with emotions. You know, they are just dead, you know, but they are not monsters. You know, ghosts are, are never meant to be monsters, I don't think. So mm-hmm. um, I just have a stir of echoes multiplied with Paranorman. And uh, what about you, Garrett? Um, I have the uh, 2005 film Stay, uh, the Mark Forrester movie. Uh, a pretty underseen movie, so I won't spoil it, uh, but also is about a psychiatrist who is attempting to help one of his own patients, helping himself in the process, and there's also some twisty things going on in the movie. I'll try to be as uh, vague as I possibly can. Uh, I have that divided by The Exorcist for actually reasons that we've already talked about. Uh, this uh, kind of inner battle that's going on uh with uh, a character who is trying to help this young person. That's why I have it divided by, because it's like part of The Exorcist. It doesn't really match the vibe of The Exorcist at all. Um, it also doesn't really have a lot of like religious themes and all the other things that make The Exorcist great. It's also not as scary as that movie, nor is it trying to be, which is why I have it raised to The Power of the Others. Uh, I think that is another film about like kind misunderstood ghosts who are kind of lost feeling a little aimless and trying to be guided through that also has a hell of a twist at the end which i also will not spoil uh, i'm trying yeah i won't even allude to what the twist is but uh similar vibes for sure um so yeah have stay divided by the exorcist raised to the power of the others i've been i've been having an urge to uh watch the others because again i think it was another one that i think I've it's been just so seared into my brain because while you were on your bathroom break, me and Cameron, uh, we were talking about uh, uh, he mentioned the trailer for the happening. The trailer for the others is one of the scariest trailers like ever made. <laughs> I remember that trailer made me shit myself as a kid. Um, so I, I've been I've been itching to give that one a watch for, uh, of course, Queen Nicole. Um, but uh, that is our movie mass, some uh, movies to uh, check out if you're still in the mood for some uh, ghosty action uh, after watching The Sixth Sense. And that wraps up our uh, Shyamalan month. Um, you know, this was our a- uh, Shyamalanathon. Shyamalanathon. Uh, as, uh, Devon, don't forget it. <laughs> a Shyamalanathon. And this was uh, obviously the perfect movie to either start it or to end it. But hey, you know, we got to keep you guessing in, uh, in true Shyamalan fashion. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for coming back on the show and uh, yeah. and waxing M. Night with us. Uh, what are you working on right now? Where can the people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Cameron Rice and on Instagram at Cam Rice Photo. Um, as far as working on stuff, we just put out our second short film, um, and which is a stars Maggie Mayfish, and it's about a woman who finds out her husband's been cheating on her, uh, and so she takes vengeance upon him uh, and frames him for murder. Um, and we are about to go into production on our third one, which is a little bit more comedic in nature. Ooh, hell yeah! We love revenge around here. Uh, definitely excited to check that one out. Um, but yeah, and we will have links to all that in the show notes below. Uh, Garrett, you wanna you wanna announce uh, the theme for next month? 
what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, very excited to uh, address next month's theme. Uh, last year, we uh, geared up for the new Scream film and obviously talked about the films of the franchise. So uh, with Scream 6 coming out, uh, taking the franchise in a new direction, we are taking our uh, podcast in a new direction, going to the Big Apple. Uh, we're going to be talking about movies that take place in New York City. Hit it. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about movies that uh, take place in New York, not just in like, uh, yeah, it's in New York, but like New York is like a character in the movie, whether mm-hmm. that be, uh, you know, revolving to, to uh, towards the plot or just general kind of vibe of the film. So very excited to be discussing that. Uh, be sure to uh, be uh, keeping tabs on our Twitter and Instagram. We're going to be publishing some uh, our calendar for the month and you guys can see uh, what movies we're going to be discussing so you can add it to your uh, watch or rewatch rotation. I am so stoked. We have a nice grimy lineup uh, for for New York month. Uh, Very excited. And to start off, we will be talking Basket Case next episode. Yeah, Uh, my pick. The the grimiest. (laughs) Probably the grimiest, nastiest, but uh, it's going to be a sweaty month, guys. So uh, get get ready for that. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, lots of movies and things coming uh, down the pipeline uh, for the nation. So somebody's got to talk about them. So if you want to see my thoughts on some of the new things coming out, uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd as well as TikTok. Uh, and also uh, Mandalorian is starting. So if you like Star Wars, you can subscribe to my sp- uh, other podcast, which is my Star Wars podcast uh, called Scum and Villainy. Um, lots of things to discuss with uh, the new shows and, and new things coming down the pipeline. So got new episodes every week and love to guys uh, love to have you guys on over there. And of course, uh, show notes go for those links guys go follow. Um, I am working on the same old stuff uh, Instagram and Twitter at underscore daddy disco. Um, you can hear me over on uh, the pod and pendulum. We're in the midst of uh, covering the purge franchise. So I'm hopping in for a couple of those. Uh, so go over there and we might also have some uh, yellow jackets content over there coming question mark we shall see Um, but yeah so I will see you guys over there but now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club new episodes drop every Tuesday subscribe to not miss a thing you can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter Instagram and TikTok and if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts leave us five stars a nice little review we appreciate you but until next time guys stay lifted <laughs>